We are continuing to look at the book of James together as we go through the whole book. And we're getting close to halfway through. Well, we sort of uh, going to look a little bit more at the passage that we looked at last week. And so turn with me, if you have a Bible, please, to James chapter 2 and read along while I read aloud from God's Word. James chapter 2, starting with verse 21 and continuing through verse 26. And we read from God's Word, Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Let's pray. Dear Lord, teach us the lessons of your word. Accomplish this because your word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. Work this process in our hearts through your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at your word together, that my words would be faithful to your word because your word is holy. That we would learn from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I've had occasion several times during this past week to consider the message of what we were looking at this last Sunday, which began... uh, earlier in the chapter, James chapter 14, in which the message is this, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Going on to say that faith without works is dead. I've thought a bit about it on several occasions. In reference to several different situations, I've had the opportunity to ask myself, so, if you say you believe it, how are you living it out? How are you living it out? And as Andy and I have talked about this passage that we examined last week together, she brought to my attention the significance of the two biblical examples that James used in this passage to illustrate what faith in action really is for those whose Faith in Jesus Christ is alive and flourishing. Her comment to me was, isn't it interesting? I'm not quoting her here, paraphrasing. Isn't it interesting that God used the example of man in worship and of a woman in serving God's people? And as she brought that to my attention, just the world of application an illustration that has for our everyday life came to light. And so I looked at it more, and so instead of moving on to chapter 3, I'd like to linger over, over the end of chapter 2 in order to look at these two examples, Abraham and Rahab, in order to see what do they have to teach you and me. <clears throat> 
In the context, we remember the point of this passage, which is put in a nutshell by the last verse of the chapter, which says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. We're in a state in the culture and a community in which so frequently faith is made a mockery of because we treat it lightly. How so? This is an example that comes to me time and again, and perhaps it comes as well to you. We're so eager to speak highly of our friends, family members, and neighbors that we are willing so often to claim faith for anyone who says they believe in Jesus Christ. Now, the message that we understood as we looked, beginning with verse 14 this past week, was that even demons believe in Jesus Christ. Is that good? It's a fact. And so as we look at people around us and as we look at our own lives, the fact of belief is no guarantee of saving faith. The fact of belief is simply mind knowledge. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The demons know that. And so in the atmosphere in which we live, then, it is helpful to look at these two illustrations because at the very least they show us the minimum of what actions must be in the lives of true believers. In other words, the message of the passage as we saw this past week was you can't say you have faith and not live out the deeds that Christ wants you to act out. Because if you say you have faith, but you don't live out that faith, there's a discrepancy. There's a contradiction. And the reality is what you live out, not what you say. Because the tongue is deceitful above all things. So then, look with me at Abraham and Rahab. How can we classify their actions? How can we classify the actions of Abraham and Rahab? Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 22. And let me read aloud from this story, which we are referred to regarding Abraham. Genesis chapter 22, beginning with verse 1. Sometime later... God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied, verse 2. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. So early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them continued on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. 
He bound his son Isaac. He laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And we know what happened at that point. God provided a ram for Abraham to sacrifice instead of his son. What was Abraham doing at this point in his life that is the illustration of the fact that faith must be illustrated and demonstrated and lived out in deeds? He says it when he, when he tells his servants what he is going to do. In verse 5, to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. <clears throat> Interesting, isn't it? The worship is the first example given of how the faith that we profess must be lived out in our lives. Now, the thing that I would like to say to encapsulate these two things as we look at worship and demonstrating love for fellow believers as two examples of what kind of actions must be in the lives of believers is don't say, we cannot say, that these are the only things that are illustrations of faith. These aren't the only things. But these happen to be the two significant things that God chose through the author James to put in as illustrations of faith. And so they jump to life. They jump out at us. The first one is worship. Now what do we see about worship <clears throat> through Abraham in this illustration? We see that if our faith is alive, we must be worshiping God. How? How? That's the question for today, isn't it? All kinds of people have all kinds of explanations for how they worship God. But how? We see it clearly in this passage. Several points. We see that Abraham was worshiping God first as God commanded. As God said. Not as Abraham decided. But God said, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. And Abraham did it. And that was the way God said to do it. And that's the way Abraham did it. So as you and I consider worship, and our worship of the Lord, the first thing we need to recognize and realize is that our worship has to be as God says to do it. If we're wondering how to worship, we don't look at how people worship around us who aren't fellow believers. We look at God's Word. What does His Word say worship is to be? Because that is where God is speaking to us. Now the interesting thing about what God told Abraham to do here is that the sacrifice of children or of adults... Was, was a sacrifice of worship practiced by many people throughout ancient times. They would sacrifice people to their gods. You remember the stories about the Druids in England. That's certainly a lot farther down the road time-wise than this point in Abraham. But that strikes a chord, a bell, probably in every one of our memories as we think about the history we have studied. 
human sacrifice was a method of worship in the worship of pagan religions. So does that mean that Abraham should have done this? Because he looked over there and he saw a fellow worshiping, for instance, the god Moloch, who was one of the gods mentioned in Scripture, to whom people sacrificed their children. Abraham looked over there and said, Oh, that's a good idea. He's worshiping Moloch by sacrificing his son. Light bulb. That's how you worship God. No. 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 We do not gain our worship by looking at people who are not following God's Word. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter how successful it is. We gain what we do in worship by looking at what God says. And the only reason in the world that Abraham ever would have even conceived of such a bad idea is this is because God said, Now, Abraham, I want you to take your son. And we see in the beginning, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And so Abraham did it because God said to do it. Not because he looked around and he said, Oh, everybody else is doing this. It's a great thing. This is a way to worship. I understand now. That is not the way that we gain worship. Now, I think it's a tradition in the church throughout the ages that when things get slow or God's blessing upon His people is not as uh, as obvious as as it is at certain points in history. There are certain points in history when the revivals happen. And I don't mean a a tent meeting, that sort of thing. I mean when the people, all of a sudden, their spirits are quickened and everybody is turning to the Lord and saying, what must I do to be saved? Revivals sweep different areas in different countries at different times. But when the revivals aren't there, sometimes things can get very dry. And so what do you do to worship when things are dry? What do you do to worship when, for instance, you go to church on Sunday morning and there's nobody else there? <laughs> you think of England and the situation that is so rampant throughout England where these churches, which were once a bastion of Christian faith, are empty or being used as museums. What do you do to worship when things are dry? Well, the temptation is obviously there. What do you do? Well, okay, well, let's look. Let's not look, for instance, at uh, what we would typically consider other religions, but let's look all around us and see where we can get some other good ideas for what you do in worship. And so people bring into worship things that are appealing to the culture at large. The New Age religions have brought in all kinds of interesting things. And, And... as studies have been made about what people believe and practice in this day and age, <clears throat> what we see so frequently is people have developed the habit of building their own religions from scratch. They don't take Christianity and accept it in a template that's given to us in God's Word. But instead, they take Christianity and then they pick and choose what they like out of it. And they pick and choose what they like out of this religion. Well, I worship God by doing this or by that or something else. Now, 
What we need to find from that is, no, if, if the church is not interesting and the church is being faithful and doing what God is requiring it to do, then the church just has to keep on doing it. You think of Abraham at this point, and God is acknowledging to Abraham, yes, Abraham, I know, you think this is a bad idea. Because he tells him, take your son, your only son. What does that refer to? God said to Abraham, I will make out of you a great nation. And he had promised this son, and this was the son of impossibility. This was the son of old age for both Abraham and his wife, Rebekah. <clears throat> take your son, your only son, Isaac. What else? The one whom you love. And do what? Do what? Get rid of him? You've got to be crazy. <clears throat> and so as we look at worship, we realize the only thing that we need to ask about worship is what does God say we are to do? It's not what do I like? It's not what is everybody else doing? It's not what gets the people in? The question is what does God say? Because who is worship for anyway? Is it for me? Was this for Abraham? Well, in a sense, yes. But Abraham was a servant and God was the master. And so, in the ultimate sense, this worship was for God. It wasn't for Abraham, although it was for him because it was part of his relationship with God. And as we consider worship, we need to realize one whom worship is to be emphasizing is God, not man. Now... <laughs> That's something that we deal with every Sunday, at least every Sunday. What is worship all about? Have I worshipped if I leave the service saying, Oh, I feel great. I feel great. Have we worshipped? Was Abraham in the process of worship when he bound his son and laid him on the altar? During those long steps on the mountain, was he in the process of worship? When he raised his hand with the knife, was he in the process of worship? Did he like it? <laughs> Did he like it? No. So, you and I need to focus in worship. What does God say? What does God want from me? Because my focus is on Him, not on me. <clears throat> what else do we find about Abraham and worship? In God's timing. In God's timing. When God said, do this now, Abraham did it now. <clears throat> what else do we find about worship? <clears throat> it's regardless of the cost. Whatever worship costs, we need to be doing it. <clears throat> this is an ultimate example. And Abraham passed God's test because in reality he had already in his heart sacrificed his son. It was done with. And we read elsewhere in Scripture that he, had, he, he did this knowing full well that God was capable of raising his son to life again. <clears throat> so Abraham had given what to him was an ultimate sacrifice. What is the cost to us? What is the cost? Is there a cost to us in worship? I think so frequently. <clears throat> I... Uh, 
<coughs> I remember that my one most overwhelming worry about becoming a pastor, <coughs> well, I, we put this in the context, I, one of my concerns, okay, <laughs> was, was would I be able to stay awake during a whole worship service? <laughs> of you have ever wondered, can I stay awake during the whole worship service? Well, before I was a pastor and, well, I <laughs> I was one of them. <clears throat> had a hard time staying awake. Sort of a funny thing. <clears throat> but that points out, what is the cost to us? What is the cost? Is the cost only a question of whether I can stay awake? Is the cost a question of whether or not I will be interested? Whether or not I will like the hymns? Is there a cost in worship to us? When we realize that worship is what we do to please God, then we start truly considering the cost. Let's move on to the example from Rahab. Joshua chapter 2. Turn with me, I would encourage you, as I read from Joshua chapter 2. Beginning with verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went, and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, Some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and she had hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flask she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts sank, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. And so again, the first example we find in James is worship. The second example is helping God's people. Loving the Lord through worship. Loving the Lord through loving His people. What do we see about Rahab's love for the Lord? Rahab's helping God's people. 
we see that it was first and foremost an expression of her love and honor for the Lord. It was an expression of her love and her honor for the Lord. Now, as I began talking about this passage, I talked about how we make faith a cheap thing. How our culture has a tendency to make faith a cheap thing. Because we are so willing to say in our culture, there is a good man, there is a good woman. There is a Christian, there is a Christian. We see here that not only does Christianity illustrated through worship, but it is also illustrated through love for God's people. Rahab said in her heart, and we read it again in verse 11, For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Why was she helping the spies? Because fundamentally she believed the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. And she was honoring him. Now as you and I think of what our lives should be like to those around us, the first group of people that we need to think about living out our faith towards is fellow believers. That is the first group of people. Now there are several reasons for that. One of the main being that the Lord commanded this, that that the world would know we were Christians by the love we demonstrated for one another. The world would know that we are Christians because we have love for each other. We love each other. We demonstrate that love for each other. We don't just say, I love you, I love you, I love you. We live it out. We hide the spies because we honor the Lord. What else do we see about Rahab's helping God's people? We not only see that it was an expression of her honor for the Lord, but it was also, and this is the beautiful part when you consider Rahab, I think, it was also her saying, I want to belong to this family. I want to belong to this family. You spies promise me that you will take care of me and my family because I have taken care of you. I want to be one of you. (laughs) Now that is a beautiful picture for Rahab and her family. But with Rahab, it was the same as it was with Abraham. She did this, showing love for God's people regardless of the cost. What was the cost for her? Well, it was certainly risking her life and her family. She didn't tell the king that lie without any risk. Her life and her family were at risk. She also paid the cost of giving up her people, her heritage. She said, I choose this heritage over my own people. I choose the people of Israel over the people of Jericho. So what what practical examples does this have for us? Practical example. Let me give you an illustration. My parents used to tell the story of a single lady who stood out among their friends when my brother Daniel was ill from leukemia and died several years before I was born. Every night after dinner, she came over to the house and she shooed my mother and siblings from the kitchen so that the family could have time together uninterrupted before the children's bedtime to read, to pray, to play, do whatever they chose to do, or she cleaned up the kitchen. And she did this for months. 
while my brother Daniel was sick with leukemia and had died. Now that is an example of a lady who understood that serving God's people is an illustration of faith in action. She was a fellow believer and she saw a family of fellow believers in need and she did one of the lowliest things you can do. There are certainly worse things to be done. She came and she cleaned the kitchen. She didn't eat dinner with them. She didn't do anything else. She just came over and said, I would like to help you by cleaning your kitchen so that you can have time together as a family. As we consider what it means to be people of faith, and as we examine the lives of those around us, we need to realize that there are two illustrations given to us in James. Is there worship? Is there worship of God? Is there worship of God as He tells it? Or are people saying, for instance, the common thing that I've heard and you've probably heard too, I worship God when I'm out in the forest. Where does it say that? Where does God say, worship me out in the forest? Where does God say, worship from you that I desire is for you to go off by yourself and do your own thing as you like it? No. Our worship is to include all of our lives. But He tells us to gather with His people in worship. Very clearly. The second illustration is, if faith is real, then it will be demonstrated by our love for one another. What does that mean? It means many things at many different times. Specifically, there are various things that are told, that we are told in Scripture. Honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, which is from Romans chapter 12. Galatians 5, serve one another in love, like that lady did to my family. Ephesians 4, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, Sandy wondered if um, something, an event that happened in our house last night would make it into the sermon. So I guess it has to get into it. I had an opportunity to bear with uh, my wife in love last night when our disposal got clogged up because, well, ask her. <laughs> but uh, this was a test of me. What am I going to do when I get to spend two hours trying to clean out the kitchen drain. What would you do? Well, it depends on whether or not people are watching you, right? (laughs) Well, that's a good point. (laughs) But if the person who did it's watching you, what would you do? (laughs) Bearing with one another in love. How do we treat each other? That is how we demonstrate love in the family. So as we consider what faith is, and as we look at those around us, don't forget these two signs. Because you and I need to look for them in ourselves. And before we have the audacity to say about another person, oh, he or she is a believer. If these things are not there, you have got a big warning sign. You have got a big warning sign, and it's a warning sign for you and me personally, and it's a warning sign as we consider the lives of others. God commands them to be there. And if we say it, we need 
to walk it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask that you would teach us what it means truly to worship you. That we would understand that we, our purpose is to do what you desire, to give glory to you. Not to get and get and get, but to give. And so, Lord, help us to worship you in ways that are pleasing in your sight. And give us your blessing as a result of our worship. Find us worthy as you found Abraham worthy. Lord, teach us as well to honor, to love, to serve one another. Because we are part of the family of Christ, even as Rahab served you through serving the spies and serving thereby the Israelites. Help us to learn and to think about what it means to love one another and to serve one another and to act out our faith in loving the family of Christ. Teach us these things that we might be blessed and that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.